So our passage this morning is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, if you want, you can take out your Bibles and uh, read with me, pull it up on your phone. I'm going to read this section. It won't be on uh, the overhead, but when we, when we go through and start walking through the passage together, it'll be up there. So uh, thank you for coming this morning. We're excited to have some baptisms. Uh, if you're new with us today, just thank you for coming and seeing what involves about, um, as was stated earlier, we're about involving people in the life of Christ and Christ in the lives of people. And we believe that God's word is true, and it's profitable for teaching, for correcting us, and helping us through this crazy, messed up world that we live in. So let's take a look at this passage together. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word, so that you may grow up in your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built up to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe... But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, well, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Father, as we open your word today, I trust that we will listen to you. Help us with the help of your Holy Spirit, with the the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we are, let's be honest, Lord, we're foolish people. We need you. We need your help to understand these things. Guide us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and the gift he's given us. We celebrate him. We look forward to baptizing people in his name for the work that he's done in your name, Father, for calling us to the people we are today and for the work of your Holy Spirit to walk with us through this messy, mixed-up world that we live in. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever feel like this? I'm going to show you a few pictures here this morning. Some of you, I've shown this to a few people, and they like looked at it and then looked away. Like they just couldn't stomach the, the picture. But, you know, if you drive around this part of Idaho, you may run across something similar to this. This might be a little bit of an exaggeration. But uh, you'll definitely drive by some areas and smell something like this, right? And, and, of course, I grew up a little bit in the farming world, and as, as we would always drive by something like this, I would usually hear something like, well, that smells like what? Money, yeah, that's what people would say. Oh, it smells like money. For the dairy farmer, that's what it is. But, but for us, it does not smell anything like that, right? And it looks disgusting, and people are like, I don't, I don't want to be in a mess like that. But sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we feel like in our lives, 
We're in a mess like this. Now, what's interesting about this, and you'll see this here in Idaho as well, but if you take this slurry, this slop, this mixed-up mess, and you dry it out a little bit and put it in piles, it'll start to clean up and look like this. All right? Uh, Brett and Quinn, you guys have this right across from your house, right? Yeah, you see these piles all the time. You're reminded of that. Uh, that, too, looks like money to some people because... People who are clever have figured out they can take that pile right there, package it up, and take it to a store and sell it to us, the consumer, right? And then we're excited because, man, we got this wonderful, wonderful compost. It's great. It's going to do what for my garden? It's going to make it fantastic. And so we bring it home and we plant something like this. Now, I will have to admit my garden looks nothing like that. Maybe yours does. But I sure dream of a garden like that. Wouldn't that be beautiful? But think about it. Okay, go back to that first image of a cow standing in a slop. And we think, how messy, how gross, how disgusting. And yet through a process, it could come out looking like a beautiful garden that produces vegetables, fruit, things that we can enjoy and things that we can eat. It's an amazing, beautiful process. And what I'm here to tell you about is that God can do the same thing in us, in our lives. He takes us in whatever situation we're in, a messed up situation, and he makes it wonderful. He makes it great if we let him. So no matter where you are in your life, no matter what circumstance you're in, if you feel like you're standing in a pile of manure, God can take and do something incredible with you. So ponder this. Think about these few questions here. As you think about maybe your circumstance and your mess, I want to ask you a couple questions. One, do you spend more time thinking about the mess that you're in or God's grace? Or let me reword it this way. Maybe it's like, "Ah, I'm not super clear on what you're saying. So let me put it this way. Put a few more words in here. Do you spend more time worrying about your circumstance or thankful that God is there to walk with you through it? Think about that. I know when I was writing these questions up and thinking through my own life, I'm like, man, I've got to ask easier questions because I, like, I don't like the outcome. I don't like my answer. I have to be honest and be like, man, I think I worry more than I do spend, spending time being thankful. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you've got to figure it out, but I know for me I struggle and I worry about things rather than being thankful. How about this question? Do you spend, then spend more time talking about your mess or about God's grace? In this passage, we're going to get to really our, the, the key verse of our series. In our series, we're calling it Recruited, and we're recruited out of our mess to make him known. And when we get to chapter 2, verse 9, we're going to look at that verse and see that we are called to proclaim the gospel, proclaim the good news, proclaim the truth about the one who has called us out of darkness and put us in the light. That's, that's the key verse for our whole series, and that's what we're going to be talking about and spending some time today. So ask this question of yourself, not of your neighbor. Don't ask it of your spouse. Think about it yourself right here. Do you spend more time talking about your mess or God's grace? So here's our our. Big idea for the day, it's also our big idea, you'll notice, for the whole series, that we're recruited out of our mess then to make him known. We are God's people, 
And as God's people, well, we ought to live like God's people. So that's what we're going to be taking a look at as we dive in to his word this morning. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it starts off, therefore, and this is pretty common for Peter. Now, Peter, in a lot of his writings, you'll start to go through the whole book, and you say, man, Peter says therefore quite a bit. And I think the reason why is he likes to link his ideas to what he just previously said. So he says, therefore, therefore, therefore. So when we go back, here's what we can look at. He says, therefore, or since you have been called to be holy, we talked about that last week, and challenged to love one another constantly. We talked about that again last week. You've been called holy, you've been called to love each other constantly, rid yourself, step out of, get away from all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, malice is one of those words we don't really use too much today. I don't know how much you go around saying that word. I don't really use it very much. So when I read it, sometimes I have to look it up and be reminded, okay, what is malice exactly? And the idea of malice here that Peter's talking about is that we would intentionally cause harm or hurt or evil to someone else. That's what malice is. Now, sometimes when we hear that, we start to think of things that might, you know, cause a person to go to jail or prison, right? The worst, of course, is like murder, and then there's, then there's you know, then there's rape, and then there's uh, other things that we would put in those categories and say, yeah, those are, those are really bad. But notice that Peter doesn't say, get rid of the worst of the malice. He says, get rid of all malice. So this week I'm driving down the road and I get into one of those situations where it's two lanes and there's a kind of a merging lane behind me and this car, there was cars in front of me, but for whatever reason they thought they were more important, you know, than I am. So, so they decide to take off, go in this lane and then come right back in front of me and cut me off. You ever felt malice in a situation like that? Isn't it funny how all of a sudden when something like that happens, we have these emotions and they begin to boil up inside of us and we start to think to ourselves, man, I should do something to send a clear message to the person who just cut me off. What should I do? And then we start thinking through the different things we might think of doing. Now, we wouldn't wreck our car. We're not going to run into them, especially rear-ending them because then it's always our fault, right? We're not going to go up and sideswipe them. That would be, you know, a bad thing. But we might start doing other things, and we certainly might start saying things under our tongue and thinking poor things about that person. There's all kinds of ideas that maybe float into our head. Now, here's the thing. When a situation like that occurs and your emotions start to build up inside of you, that in itself isn't wrong. That's not malice. But what we do with those emotions... What we do when that starts to build up inside of us, the anger, maybe the rage or whatever, if you really go that far, what you do with it, that's, that's malice. I used to think that going to, uh, well, hearing, first of all, I'd hear about the stories of, of parents that would go to a, a baseball game, a basketball game, football game, or whatever, and their kids are playing. And I hear them come back and they start talking about the parents not about the ref. Sometimes it's the ref. Oh, it's ref. Sometimes, oh, it's those coaches. But they start talking about the parents. And they're like, I can't believe the parents. There was actually, they had to call police. And I'd be like, really? It's that bad? Yeah, it's that bad. We've got parents yelling at other people, yelling across the field, yelling at the coaches, yelling at the refs, blah, blah, blah. You know, how does that happen? And I thought, man, those parents have something wrong with them. And then I had my own kids go into sports. And then they started, like, 
playing, and, and as they were playing, I started seeing things that, from my point of view, didn't look really very fair. And I started to feel something inside of me. I'm like, huh, that's a weird feeling. Why do I feel like that? And then it could sometimes kind of grow, and you start to get upset, and maybe even get angry, and you're like, I want to go talk to somebody about this. That's when I realized that malice can happen with anybody. And anger can, can build up inside of any of us, and we can then get into a situation where we want to show some sort of intentional harm to other people, whether it be verbal, whether it be physical, whatever it is, we want to do that. And we've got to, in this scenario, Peter tells the people, you may be in a situation, you may be in a trial, you may be in a circumstance that's extremely difficult, you've got to refrain from showing malice. In fact, he says, rid yourself of it. Step out of it. Take a step back and say, I'm not going to do that. Rid yourself of all malice. He goes on, he says, deceit. Deceit's the idea of, you know, lying. Or you find out something that your, your work doesn't go out well. Or maybe you got caught doing something and you kind of twist the truth a little bit. Because you know you might get in trouble. You might get written up. Whatever it may be. And so you twist the truth a little bit. He says, get rid of all that deceit. Maybe you, maybe you pretend to be something you're not, which then kind of ties in a little bit hypocrisy. He talks about both of these here. He says deceit and hypocrisy. You need to get rid of it. Don't pretend. Don't promote yourself to be something you're not. Don't go out, especially as Christians, and say, man, I'm a, I'm a Sunday morning Christian. I show up. I do the thing. I worship. and I pray and I do all that. But then when I go out and live my own life, I live completely different. He says, don't do that. Rid yourself of that. Step out of that kind of life. Rid yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, wanting something that's not yours, going out of the world, keeping up with the Joneses, or trying to outdo the Joneses even, looking at what other people have and saying, man, I really want that. In fact, if I had that, I'd be even more happy. Just get rid of all that. Rid yourself of all that. And then it says even slander. Slander is the idea of putting someone else down. So a situation like that first one I talked about, you're in the car. Now let's change it. And that one, I was by myself, but certainly this has happened where I'm not by myself. I have my whole family with us. We're in our family vehicle, and we're driving down the road. Somebody does something. What do I say in that situation? Now, it's not just me that has a chance of showing some sort of malice. Now, I can also start to slander that person, and I have a whole audience behind me, right? We've got to be careful what we say. Everybody... that walks upon the face of the earth is a potential child of God. Maybe they haven't placed their faith in Christ, but they still can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and place their faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, God, God loves everyone. He talks about that, right? Jesus loves the whole world. We can't slander people. We shouldn't slander people. Separate yourselves. That's the idea of holiness, right? We're supposed to be set apart. So in view of being holy, view of being set apart, rid yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Then he goes on. Okay, we spent quite a bit of time there. We want to move on to this simple fact, concept, and, and trust me, throughout this whole passage, you're going to have a lot of concepts thrown at you. So hopefully we can process through them okay. But he says, like newborn infants... A new child is born, they desire to be fed, they desire pure milk. Here in this, con- or in this uh, translation it says pure milk of the word. Some of your translations might say spiritual milk. If you look at the Greek, it's kind of interesting. He actually is talking about a reasonable milk. 
It's the idea that it makes sense. That when you hear it, it lines up with all of God's word and it, and it makes sense. It's reasonable throughout all of scripture. It's not like, oh, we just pull one thing out and we, we stick with that. It's like, no, it makes sense with all of God's wisdom, all of God's plan. He says, like newborn infants, hunger and thirst and want to be fed. So we too should want to be fed like that. So that you grow up. Because none of us were called to place our faith in Jesus Christ and stay right there. We were called to place our faith in Jesus Christ and grow and grow to be more like Christ. Now, here's, here's a concept I think we need to go back to and understand and make clear. There's two things that happen. One, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you actually step out of a sinful mess that you were born into. All of us were born as, as sinners apart from God. And something happens at the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we become a child of God, we are brought into that family, and we now have this relationship with him. Okay, That's a positional transition that takes place for all of us. For instance, if you go to a store and you buy some strawberries, okay, and you take those strawberries home, that package of strawberries, you can have the choice. You can put them on the, uh, the table, the countertop. You can put them, if you... If you wanted to, I guess you could leave them in the car. That might not be so good an idea. Or you put them, you know, on a window or next to a window shelf. The sun's beating on it. That's probably not a good idea. Or you give it to your kid. Like maybe my child takes it, bites it. Oh, this is sour. Throws it away. Or maybe you put it in the refrigerator. I don't know where the strawberries end up, but wherever they do, they, they go to some spot in your home. Okay? They are there in your home. You possess them. You own them. But then they're in a different circumstance. Different circumstance than if I bought one and take it to my house. It's going to be different than you buying a package of strawberries and take them to your house. What does all that mean? Here's what it means. You and I have been placed into God's family. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. He takes us into his family. But each one of us has a different circumstance at that point. And some of us may feel like we're on the countertop and we've got flies lying all over us. Some of us may feel like we've been thrown in the trash. Some of us may feel like we're in the sun and we're beating on and we're, we're rotten to the core. Whatever it may be, we're still a child of God, but we feel like we're in this mess. And God says he wants to grow us up. Okay, you've placed your faith. You're already a believer. Now he wants to grow you up. And the way that's going to happen is by you accepting the word of God, and hungering for the word of God. And that's why he throws in this if clause here. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. Not just spoke the words. Not just given a mental assent to it. Yes, I believe there's a God. Yes, I believe there's Jesus. But it's more than that. It's actually you've taken it in. You've digested the truth. You've understood it. You've applied it to your life. And now you're living it out. If you've tasted what God has done, and you're digging into him, then you're growing. That's what he's talking about here. So remember, remember this slogan, bet you can't eat just one. Uh, do they still have that one? You, know, you guys will have that. You guys awake out there? <laughs> All right. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, maybe they still do. But ladies, I, for me, it's true. You can't just eat one unless it's like it's, they're trying all these weird flavors now. And there's sometimes you eat one like, yeah, I can just eat one of that. But if you have a, a classic Lay's and you take a bite, you're like, I hope you give me a whole bag of chips because I can't just eat one. 
That's the idea here that Peter's telling us is that when we have a taste of God and we have a taste of what is good, we dive into it, we dig into it. We put it in our lives and we keep munching on it. Now, as you come to him, as you pour into him, as you pursue him, a living stone, an interesting phrase here, it's not a stone that's dead. It's not a stone that's just there, lifeless. He says, no, it's a living stone. It's an active stone. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. He was rejected by people, specifically the Israelites. He was rejected when he went to the cross. They said, no, we don't want him as our Messiah. But he was chosen then and honored by God to be the Messiah. Now you yourselves are living stones. So here we have a living stone and multiple living stones. And we are a spiritual house. And we are being built then to be a holy priesthood. Now if you were an Israelite, you'd be like, oh yeah, all these things are are making sense a little bit. Because I know that in Israel's history, they had to have priests. And there was a Levitical priest line. and, And if we wanted to worship God, we had to go and we had to bring these little sacrifices. And then the priest would go to God and he would be our mediator And Jesus, or Peter says, listen, you guys, you are the priests now. You and I. We no longer go to the Levites because we have Christ in us, and he is our high priest. We have this relationship with God the Father. We don't go through any other kind of human being on this earth. We go through God, we go through Jesus Christ to God the Father. It's incredible. So we are being built now into this holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We come through Christ to offer our sacrifices, our, our abilities, our gifts, our resources, whatever we have that we can lay at his feet. In obedience, we say, here, these are yours. And then he says this, for it stands in Scripture, see I lay a stone in Zion. It's a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in me will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. Now that was Israel's history. Israel did. They stumbled over the Messiah. They stumbled over Jesus Christ and they rejected him as the Messiah. Here we are 2,000 years later. And I can come and I can present Jesus Christ and I can make him be as nice sounding and as good sounding and as wonderful and as pleasant as I possibly can. And I can present him to a person who doesn't know Christ and they'll still reject him. People will still reject Jesus Christ. They stumble because they disobey the word. And they were destined for it. If they disobey God's word, if they can't accept the Messiah then they're not part of God's family. That's a hard thing to accept, but it's the truth. We have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord, as Messiah. Now, we're not as familiar with this, but if you go back to Israel, you'll see this today. You can go around the Temple Mount. You'll see places like this around the Temple Mount all throughout Israel. They built a lot with rocks. Today, uh, what we see when a house goes up is we see first you know, an excavation happen, but then they'll go out and they'll lay the forms out. And they'll pour concrete into those forms. Those forms are out of, of level, or, or if they're, you know, they're not... Um, perfectly placed, then then the rest of your house is going to be out of line. And the idea behind a cornerstone is you would go and you would take and you would put it and and spend time positioning it in the right place and making sure it's square so that when you begin to put other stones, the rest of the building would be, be square with that cornerstone. It was the blueprint. It was the map, so to speak, for the rest of the stones. 
And he says here specifically, Jesus is that cornerstone. He's the first one that's set so that the rest of us can be built upon it. I like this picture. Maybe it draws it a little bit better for us. Here are the large cornerstones sitting there in the corner, and all the little stones, the living stones we're called, are placed upon it. God comes and he takes this stone, he puts it here, and he takes this stone, he puts it here, and he's building the priesthood, he's building his church. You and I are those living stones. But for the ones who reject Christ as Messiah, they're left in a pile. They become a stumbling block. Or Christ becomes a stumbling block because they don't want to do it Christ's way. They want to do it their own way. They say, no, no, I I believe Jesus. Okay, I believe you walked on the earth, but but I still want to to do things my way, or I still think that I have something inside of me that's so good that God's going to want me because of my good works rather than the work of Jesus Christ. And we have to get rid of that and depend upon the work of Jesus Christ instead. And it continues on. This is our key verse for this series. You, then, are a chosen race. Back in the Old Testament, it talks about Israel. Israel is a chosen, or the Jews, excuse me, are a chosen race, a chosen group of people, chosen by God. And if you wanted to follow God, you had to become, and it was possible to become a Jew and follow God that way. It was the chosen nation, a holy nation, as he says in here, a royal priesthood. You were descendants or children of God. Therefore, you became like him in the sense that you were royal, his family. You and I today are that way too. We are God's children. We are called the sons and daughters of God. You and I. And because God is the king and Jesus, then we too are royal in that sense. I know we don't think about that too much, but it's true. We're part of his family, a royal priesthood. We have communion with God now, God the Father, because of Jesus Christ and being united with him. And we are people for his possession. He owns us because we're all bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So that, okay, got those two words in there? So that you and I may proclaim the praises, may make known all the wonderful things about who God the Father is, Jesus Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is. He's the one who has called us out of the darkness and put us into this marvelous light. He's the one who has shown us what truth is so that we can go and give it to other people. He's the one that gives us wisdom. He's the one that when we're stuck in that mess and we feel like we got manure all around us and we don't know what to do, he's the one we can look to and things start to make sense and we can walk forward knowing that we're going in the direction that he wants us to go. Once, once there was a time when you were not a people, This is before you placed your faith in Christ. But now you are God's people. Once, you can add that word in there if you'd like, once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. The idea of mercy is that we all deserve wrath, but God withholds it. The Bible talks a lot about grace and mercy. Grace is giving us a gift that we don't deserve. Mercy is withholding wrath that we do deserve. So when the Bible speaks of, of mercy, it's saying, you deserve to pay for your own sins. You deserve to pay for the things you've done against God. But God withholds his wrath 
and he pours his wrath on his son Jesus Christ so that it doesn't fall on us. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have. So what are we doing with that? Let's go back to those questions. Do you spend more time thinking about your mess or God's grace? In light of all that and everything that God has done for us, do we spend more time thinking about the life we have and how messed up it is or how difficult it is or the struggles we have, or do we spend more time thinking about God's grace? Do we worry about our circumstance, or are we thankful that God's there to walk us through it? Are we so focused with our eyes down looking around us, or are we focused up with our eyes focused on Christ? And thinking about that, how much time do we spend then talking about our mess versus how much time do we spend talking about God's grace? So as we go out and we're witnesses and we're proclaiming the truth of who Jesus Christ is, I think we need to ask that question. What are we talking about in this world? What are we talking about in the community? What are we talking about at work? What are we talking about in our family? I know sometimes for us, we're talking about finances in our family. Like our kids will come home, Dad, I don't want to go do this. I'm like, oh, I can't afford it. And those words will come out of my mouth, and I'll say that, and I'll be like, you know, that's not really true. What's really true is we don't think that's a high enough priority to put money into it. But we'll say, I don't afford it instead. Because we like to talk about our poor situation. Oh, poor, or oh, woe is me. I don't have enough money to do the things my kid wants to do, and we make it into a money thing rather than a priority thing. Do you spend more time talking about your mess or God's grace? That's just one example of many that we could probably go into. So here's the challenge. Take this challenge. Consider how you answer everyday questions. So if we're called to go out and proclaim the praises of God, if we're called to go out and make him known and and forget about our mess and our situation and step out of it and rid ourselves of all that junk and we're to... Follow him and make his praises known. How would you answer everyday questions? Consider how you do answer them and ask the question, could I change my answers to somehow make Christ known? Here's here's examples. Someone comes up to you and says, well, how are you? You hear that quite a bit, right? I know I do. I'll say it a lot. Sometimes I say it. I don't know if I'm the only one that will admit this, but sometimes I say it and I really don't want a response. Like, how are you doing today? And then I just kind of keep walking. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I should have said hi, you know. Because I don't have time to stop and listen to you talk about how you are. And that's really rude, and I should, you know. You, you get that, right? Am I the only one that does it? Okay, phew. At least I'm not the only one. At least Billy also admits it. Thanks, Billy. High five later. You and I, we're in the same boat. All right. Sometimes we say that, and we, we don't mean it. But if... You get in that conversation and it's true and you're starting to talk about it and you're saying, how are you? What's your response? How can you take that simple question and start to point people to Christ? How can you do that? Like, how can you you really take and say, hey, this is really about Christ? So maybe it's something like, you know, this morning I got up, it really wasn't going that well. I didn't sleep very well tonight. But I spent a little bit of time reading and, and praying and that certainly helped. I don't think you have to go all like super spiritual, like, man, I was sitting on my knees for 30 minutes and I had this awesome moment with God. Sometimes we can go overboard, right? We can be real and genuine, though. You know, it hasn't been going too well. Sometimes the only peace I feel is the time I'm in the, the Word. 
time I'm in prayer. How are you doing? I don't know. How can you, how can you answer that question in a way that would honor God and point people to Christ? What do you do? How about that question? That one gets asked a lot, too. You start to talk, and this person doesn't know you very well, and start going into a conversation. What do you do? And so we think, oh, we've got to talk about my career. And, you know, and if you're a pastor and you say, hey, I'm a pastor, that pretty much ends the conversation. So if you want to end the conversation, just say you're a pastor. No, I'm just kidding. That would be lying, deceit. We're supposed to get rid of that. Sorry. Um, but what do you do? And so you start to think about your career, but how can we shift that question? How can we, how, our answer, how can we change that so that we don't just talk about our career? Maybe we say, yeah, I'm such and such. I do this as my career. But you know what I'm really passionate about? I'm really passionate about my relationship with Christ and my family. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that would be awkward. Maybe that would feel weird. But at least it tries to point the conversation back to the one who has saved us. Oh, what about this one? What do you like to do? I mean, there's a lot of questions I think we could throw in here. The point is, little baby steps towards proclaiming the praises of God in everyday conversations. I think we can work on it. Don't you? I know I can. When I'm at the restaurant, the waiter or waitress comes by and says, hey, is there anything else I can get you? Before you pray, maybe for your meal, you say, yeah, we're about to pray for our meal. Is there something I can pray for you? You know, you get really good responses. I don't think I've ever had anybody get upset with me when you do that. I found out some things about people. I'm like, whoa, there's a lot going on in your life. Sorry about that. We'll pray for you. Just little things like that that help point people to Christ. We have been recruited out of our mess to make him known. So how are we doing in that? That's going to be a lot of our questions this week as you get into life group. How are we doing at making him known? Today, we get to make Christ known through baptism. Seeing people publicly say, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. We're excited about that. We're going to have some some, uh, videos here to, to watch. And you can see a public declaration. And then we're going to go out and dunk them in some water. We do that, and the reason we put them into water and we, we completely immerse them into water is, is it's a picture. It's a picture of what our life has been like in Christ, where we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, and we are completely in Christ, just like we are dunked in water, completely covered in water. Then we come out into this new life, this new life that we have in Christ. It's a great picture of what God's done for us. So we make him known that way. We also want to do one other thing as we close here on this portion of today's service. And that is, I don't know if, I have this little bracelet, it's called Recruited. Um, we just thought, hey, it'd be kind of a fun thing with this series. If anybody would like, we have Recruited bracelets. And so that's what's been up here on the stage. And if you'd like, we'd like to hand them out, throw them, whatever. Maybe we can have a couple people come up and grab these. And uh, we can hand these out to people as we transition into singing and worship. But uh, we want to give those to you. We have more in the back if, uh, if you can't get them now. But, yeah, maybe, Dan, if you'd come up and help me. Rylan, Ben, there we go. Thanks, guys. Take some of those. It has our verse on it, First Peter 2, 9, and it just says, Recruited on the top. We are recruited out of our mess to make him known as a way to remind us that that's what God has called us to do. Proclaim the truth of who he is. All right, so it's free to you. It's a gift to you. Take it. Do with it what you like. If you want some for family members that aren't here, that's okay too. And uh, 
find ways this week to proclaim the great truth of who Christ is. Hey, let's pray. Father, thank you for an awesome time that we can look at your word and the truth in it. Help us now as followers of Jesus Christ to take this truth, this gospel that we have, and and internalize it. Not just give you a, a mental, yes, we believe it, but really believe it. Taste it. And get it into our bodies and live it out, that it's, it's real, it's genuine, it's authentic. We want to take what you say here and, and, and realize that we are your people. We're chosen by you. We are a holy nation, a group of people, God's people. And we are called to take this, this truth and proclaim it. Proclaim this gospel. Proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving me. I don't deserve it. But I am grateful for it. And I want to live my life with an attitude that demonstrates how thankful and grateful I am. May we all do that as we press in and pursue you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.